Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where I'll begin. Ephesians chapter 4. Concluding a series today on how to change. And by no means have we exhausted the topic uh, or given everything that needs to be known about how to change, how we grow and mature. Um, But there are some essential things in our transformation our transformation into Christ-likeness that are essential. And we wanted to highlight a few of those things and what it means to grow in relationship with Jesus here, some of the ways that we work that out. And and we live that out here specifically is uh, around creating different environments, multiple environments, that by engaging in those environments, we grow in knowing Jesus in a deeper way. And it's not just one-dimensional there's multiple environments that we, we engage in and grow in, and we've talked about a couple of them. I'm going to end today uh, talking about the third environment, and that is serving. And just to set up before we read from Ephesians 4, we are not the church that are going to condemn you or manipulate you into anything. That's witchcraft, according to Scripture. So it's not incredibly Christ-like to be manipulating Christ's body. Uh, the scriptures frown upon that. And yet many churches run counter to Christ-likeness and use manipulation tactics and condemnation and shaming to try to get you to do something. And we just are not that way. So talking about serving, yes, I want to maybe challenge you, hopefully inspire you, give you some perspective. Um, But it's the Holy Spirit that when we engage with the Lord Jesus by the power of the Spirit, it's the Spirit that guides us into what our, our next step is in that, what the next action we can commit to in that growth and maturity. And so please don't take anything I'm going to say today as a way to try to manipulate you into doing anything. Um, we, when it comes to serving, we want to be a, a generous house. We want to be a house of servanthood. Uh, and I'll talk about some of the specifics of that, but we certainly also want to be a house of healing. And there are many, many times, many people, a few of you I know here in this room, that when you first started coming here and you first called this your home church, you needed a season where you could heal. You felt broken, you felt exhausted, empty, maybe on the verge of just outright quitting. And you needed to just sit and receive for a season. And we do not frown upon that. We encourage that. Uh, we want you to receive and, and be at a place to be refreshed and re-energized. Um, but, but all of us hit a certain threshold in our life that we need to cross over where our, what we're receiving is starting to get in excess of what we're called to be pouring out. And our maturity will eventually be capped. But Maybe you're not there yet, and that's okay. We're not going to condemn you into giving. We're not going to condemn you into serving. We're not going to condemn you or manipulate you or shame you into anything. All we want to do is point you to Jesus and then remind you of who you are in Christ. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11. We looked at, at some of this last week, and so I don't want to go too much into to here at the onset, but I think it's important to, to get this context. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. There's one thing Jesus is building on earth. One thing and one thing only. It's the one thing he's doing and it's building his church. 
And he graciously, mercifully, and incredibly invites us into being participants in that work of building the church, not just observers. He didn't have to do that, but that's what he did. He invited us into that work, into doing his work with him, building up the church. Verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord. We're called to maturity. Our relationship with Jesus is not just a side project. Our spirituality is not just a a sort of compartmentalized religiosity. We don't want to be hypocritical or two-faced. We just want to know Jesus. And part of what that means is that we grow up. We want to be a church that you can enter in as a spiritual baby, but also have an environment where you can grow and mature. That's what he's talking about here. We want to be this kind of church. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Maturity does act as a safeguard against deception. But this is not just something that you and I are called to do at an individual level. It's something we're joined in together. We, we are called to grow and mature, and we in our maturity can protect from the immature getting tossed to and fro with every new teaching. We together can be a safeguard against deception in a world that is so full of deception and trickery. Verse 15, instead, we will speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. The church is to be a careful combination of both of these. A place of truth. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy calls the church a bastion or a, a, a support, a, a buttress to truth. That the church is supposed to stand strong in the truth. But here's the deal about the truth. It hurts. <laughs> Jesus says in John 8, the truth will set you free, but make no mistake about it, it'll first make you mad. You say, well, wait, I love the truth. That's because so far you've agreed with it. It's when the truth is spoken and you disagree with it, that's like, I I just don't know about that. It'll make you mad. Um, And it's not just teaching like new information. Of course, we want to grow in new information. You can write down 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Pretty familiar verse, at least at the beginning, where it talks about the authority of Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And so we take it that as inspiration. It's inspired of the Spirit. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable. Yeah, it's profitable. Profitable for a couple things. One is teaching. Yeah, we like that. We like to learn new things. Profitable for teaching. We like that teaching stuff. But here's the deal. It's also profitable for reproof. Do you know what that is? Teaching is it's telling you things you don't currently know. Reproof is calling you out on the things you do know, but you don't live. Uh, That's less fun. It's profitable for correction. It tells you what's right and wrong. It calls you out when you're wrong. And it's profitable for training in righteousness. You and I need to be trained in righteousness, and that's what scripture does. And so the truth, the church must be a place of truth in a world of lies and deception. But here's the deal. The church in the name of trying to stand for truth has also become incredibly self-righteous and mean-spirited, using truth more like a sledgehammer of destruction 
Now, there are strongholds of our mind that need the truth to go at like a sledgehammer. But if, only, if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> I think some of you are just getting that. <laughs> the, the, truth is, uh, the truth is being hammered, 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 hammered. And okay, but like, truth is more than a hammer. <laughs> That's why you need to speak the truth in love. And other churches want to emphasize love, but start walking away from truth. And in the name of love, start compromising that which is true. And we want to be a careful, not a balance as if they're counter to one another, but an appropriate combination of, yes, speaking the truth, but doing it in the love of God, speaking the truth in love. That is how we grow, knowing the truth, the truth setting us free after it makes us mad. And then we repent, realize we're in the wrong. Because if you in truth ever disagree, you're wrong. If you in scripture ever disagree, you're wrong. If you and God ever disagree, you're wrong. That just, that'll keep you safe for a long time. If you just, 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 just that alone, well, well, you'll be good. So speaking the truth in love is what he says. We will grow up in every way into Christ. I want to grow up in every way. I don't want just some things to be grown and other things to be atrophied or weak. We want to grow up in every way. We want to be a well-rounded believer embodying more than just one facet of Christ, the grace that Christ gives. We want to be mature in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Well, how do we do that? Verse 16, he, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. This is not a solo sport. This is not something that we're just out on our own. You and Jesus got your own thing going, and you just kind of have to tolerate all these other people around you. He says, he, Jesus, the head, makes the whole body fit together. That means there's some combinations that need to be fit together. And often it's with people who are not like you. I don't know if you know that. There's a lot of people in this world that aren't like you. If that's a surprise, like, there's, like everybody that annoys you is not like you. So if you're easily annoyed, there's a lot of people that ain't like you. And there's a lot of people you would call sandpaper people. Just the sound of their voice is it's like nails on a chalkboard. And you know what? You're going to spend eternity in new creation with them. What wonderful hope. So we have to trust the head to put us together. And that sandpaper, maybe smooth out some rough edges that you have in your life. Maybe some sharp edges that are immature. Because see, we all complain about immaturity in other people. The problem isn't immaturity in other people. The problem is your immaturity. My problem is not other people's immaturity. It's my immaturity. And I need to grow up, which part of it is fitting together. And then here, this is a very important phrase. And I really like how the New Living Translation translates this. King James and New King James, with every joint supplieth. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> so here's the New Living Translation for you. When each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and 
growing and full of love. Do we want to be a healthy body? Yes. Do we want to be a growing body? Yes. Do we want to be a body full of love? Yes. Guess what? You have a part to play in that. When each part, so if anyone is in Christ, anyone that is a new creation in Christ, you are a part. You're a part to play. There is no useless part of Christ's body. You might feel useless. You might not know how your part is properly placed, but no one is useless in the body of Christ. No one is just a unnecessary extra in the body of Christ. When each part does its own special work, that means each part, each and every one of us, has a unique, singular work to do that is perfectly fitted to who you are. Perfectly fitted to how God made you. This is the immense creativity of Jesus. That each and every one of us has a special part to play that only we can play. That might sound heavy, but that's what it is. It's the way he made us. And so you have a part to play. You have a part to play in Christ's work. No one that is in Christ is useless or an unnecessary part. That's, there's no age qualifier to that. There's no economic qualifier to that. There's no status qualifier to that. There's no cultural qualifier to that. There's no qualifier. Anyone is in Christ, they are a part, and they have work to do. And so how do we do that work? And so I want to just hone in on three things. Two of them are actions. The last one's the most important. It's an identity. Just to get you in the headspace, these two help you start to see what that might look like in your life. We can't go completely in immense detail on all the different ways this works out. This is where we just have to trust that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, you have an ear to hear the Holy Spirit, and can take some small incremental steps in that. And it doesn't matter if at one point in time you were just rocking it and were so mature, but you felt like you've really come backward in this. It's okay. This, we're in this together. We're in, we're in this as a family. None of us, not, like growth in our lives never is just up and to the right always. Life is not that clean. I thought there'd be a little more amens to that, but let's just hit the first one. Let's go back to the Bible. Verse, uh, go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. The first one, serving one another. So the three things, serving one another, serving our city, and then being a servant. Again, two of these will focus on actions, but what's most important to me is identity. Because who you are informs what you do. But... Knowing maybe how this works and what we do helps us just move in that direction towards Jesus and towards maturity. And a good little exercise that you can engage in, uh, in just in, in study, and with a good you know, scriptural search engine, you could probably do this in 30 minutes or less. But look up all in the New Testament letters, all of the different times, one another or each other. It could be different translations will we'll say it different, um, but each other or one another. If you look up all the different one another's, there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens that talk about how we live out this faith in Jesus with one another. And if you'll pay attention to the verbs, 
that precede one another, and sometimes the qualifiers that are after one another, it shows what the general expectation of living out the salvation of Jesus Christ together in community is all about. And I'll show you just a few in these short verses in 1 Peter 4, just kind of what they're talking about. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. There's no faking it till you make it kind of deal. Earnestly love one another. And here's the deal. People can be hard to love. Have you met them? Yeah. Are you related to them? I mean, here's the deal. Like, like if you could pick your family, how many people would pick the family they were born into? Probably not. Not very many. Loving one This is hard. That's why we need the power of Jesus. Look at how some of the ways that loving one another genuinely or earnestly works its way out. Love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Let me give you a little marriage tip. It's not biblical, but it's still helpful, okay? Uh, It's saved our marriage in so many different ways. And that is the family calendar feature on Apple. So that way my wife and I's calendar naturally can align because a major tension in our life, my wife and I's life, is my wife is wired with so much love and servanthood to the whole world that I just don't think there's a comparison outside of Jesus to her. But I'm married to her. And so someone's got to be a counterbalance. (laughs) So I am not wired that way. In my flesh, I am naturally wired to be selfish with my time, with my attention, and with my energy. And... Um, we make a great balance. <laughs> but the number of times, like this part of my wiring is I start the day more or less knowing what my day holds and knowing how to disperse my energy throughout the day. But there is a very distinct finish line where as soon as I cross that finish line, I need to disappear for the sake of everyone. Okay? And the number of times would be like, honey, I invited these people over. And the immediate thing, why? <laughs> we just need to get to know them. Why? <laughs> hospitality is having an openness to your life. It's hospitality, it, it comes from a word that talks about like an like a, a, like a open arms, like an openness. Hospitality means having space for others. And hospitality will disrupt your selfishness. And so this, this, is, this, is, this is my maturity. So, this, so, so in our ecosystem, worship, community, and serving, uh, there's going to be environments that you will naturally be drawn to. 
that you're just like, you feel like, it's not that you're strong in it, but you just, you're, you're naturally drawn to this. You, you connect with the Lord in this aspect. Some of you, like the gathering of, of church, maybe worship or, or, the, or, or, or engaging deeply in the word is just like, man, that's like, that's your thing. Like, that really sets you on fire for the Lord. Other people connecting with other people, being face-to-face with others in conversation, that really helps you connect with the Lord. And man, you guys are awesome. <laughs> and then other people, like you're just wired to serve. You're just, you're just, you, you can't help it. You just want to help. You want to serve. You, you like, you don't even have to try. You can immediately see a need. And everybody has their different strengths, the things that they, they have a strength in. And that's just the beauty of how God made us. All of us also have a blind spot and a weak spot where there's at least one, maybe more than one area that you need to grow up in. You're not strong at it. You're not good at it. And you don't get to excuse your way out of it. Because when you, when you receive the identity of Christ, when you are in Christ, you don't, it's not a, like the in Christ identity is not a buffet that you get to pick and choose what goes on your plate. Like it's kind of all in. And Jesus is a servant. I, like, so, so if it's not readily obvious, this is my low slat and my maturity. I'm growing and learning how to continually posture my life with openness for others. And it's been a long road. Thank you for your mercy and compassion in my life. But hospitality is, is creating an open space for others to join. And here's the deal. You might not like that. It might not be enjoyable for you the first hundred times it happens. But it's not about you. That very thing that rubs up against your selfishness is the very thing God's using to help you lean into grace and mature and grow into Christ-likeness in. And the more you push that away, the more you avoid that, the more you are avoiding your maturity. Your growth and your maturity is not comfortable. My brother, uh, my, well, I have an older brother, and for most of our life, we shared a room. And uh, my brother went through this thing like totally foreign to me. I did not understand it at all. Called a growth spurt. <laughs> like, fellow short people, it's okay. All right, you're not inferior. All right, you don't have to compensate by, you know, being loud or mean or anything, okay? Tall people, like, I have the mercy of God for you. So there was so many times that when we were kids, I'd hear my brother, ah, oh. He was going through a growth spurt. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Like, I've never had that problem. I've just been short my whole life. And you tall people, you take it for granted, okay? But you paid the price. You were in pain. <laughs> growth is painful. And you can choose to remain immature, but you are the cause of your own suffering in that case. But that growth point for you is right there on the edge of your comfort zone. And so he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Like it's not like, you know, with gritted teeth, Open your life to somebody else. No. Like be generous with your life is what Matthew chapter 5, 16 in the message Bible will say. Be generous with your life. 
Um, this is something that we've really tried to, to grow in and continue to mature in as a church. Um, years ago, like, I just got so frustrated that, that Chick-fil-A like, was outdoing the people of God in hospitality. But I mean, they are the people of God. But they, they were outdoing the church in hospitality. And like, I put them to the test. I'd say thank you like 30 times in the course of one conversation just to see if they will really do it. Like, if they're hardwired for my pleasure every time. And they get it 99, 99 times out of 100. But that one time, I'd catch them. <laughs> but like, I think about it. Like, like you feel, I, I feel at home at Chick-fil-A. It's like, I don't even have to pray over the meal. It's pre-blessed. I mean, <laughs> you just feel like you're at home there. And yet, the church often will feel opposite to that. I don't know what kind of church you've encountered or what kind of church you grew up in or was a part of or have even visited, but it's like they weren't even expecting you and they don't even really want you there. It's like inviting someone over to your home and then ignoring them, pretending they're not there, or worse yet, judging them for being there. And like that's what so many churches do. You walk up, you, like, you don't know, are you allowed to go in or not go in? No one's at the door. And, and then you walk in and like, people just are in their own little world. They don't care that you're there at all. And like, that really frustrated me that Chick-fil-A was out doing the church in hospitality. And we spent many years like, working on our hospitality, being the most hospitable people in town. town. And Chick-fil-A sets a high bar, guys. <laughs> like, we got to work at it. We got to stick with it. To, to be the most hospitable people in town. Like, I, I don't know if, I, I have never heard of someone leaving our church because it says, you know what? There was just too many smiles, too many hugs, and too many conversations. <laughs> there was one time. There was one time here at this campus years ago where, uh, you know, people will get up during messages and services for all sorts of reasons, and that's okay. Like, it's really okay. No big deal. Uh, years ago, I had to learn not to tell myself stories. So, like, it's really okay. There's many, plenty plenty of reasons to get up and, and, and leave uh, that isn't like you're offended. Just on a side note, pick your moment really well, though. So like if we're talking about a particular sin from the platform, sit still, like hold it. You can go to the bathroom in a minute. <laughs> Just wait until the subject changes a little bit. But anyway, uh, this one person, though, got up kind of in a huff. Just... <sighs> And, and left. And to, to our team members' credit, one of the team members in the foyer noticed it. And, and like we want, we, if there's something wrong, we want to try to make it right. We want to try to make a connection. What was it? Is, is everything okay? Can we pray for you? Like, I really appreciate this team member really noticing that and like really going for it, not just like ignoring the person. And so they finally catch up to him in the parking lot and they ask us like, hey, is everything okay? Um, is there something we can do? Uh, is everything, like, what's, what's wrong? How can we help? And this person said, this is a church. There should not be that much laughing in church. <laughs> to the team member's credit, they went, well, okay, have a great day. <laughs> like, there's nothing we can do for you. <laughs> You're probably not going to like this church anymore. <laughs> okay, show hospitality without grumbling. Then he says this, as each, so Cross-reference that, Ephesians 4.16, each part does its own special work. As each has received a gift in Christ, you've received in Christ, you have a gift of God's grace on the inside of you. Use it 
to serve one another. What God has placed inside of you isn't exclusively for you. It's for those around you. Use that gift to serve as good stewards of God's multifaceted. That's where that word varied, varied grace, multifaceted, like a diamond with many faces. So God's grace is, a, is just a gem of beauty that has many faces and you are one of those faces. The grace that God has given you has a unique, special aspect of his grace, of his mercy, his love, his compassion, his power. You have a unique facet, and the more of those facets that get expressed, the more people see how beautiful God's grace really is. You have a gift on the inside of you. You might not know what it is. You might not know how to develop it, but that's why we create a team environment, a serving environment, teams where you can learn what those gifts are and develop those gifts. Because just because you have the gift doesn't mean you know how to use it. doesn't mean you know how to develop it or grow or mature in it. And so we want to help you know what that gift is and how to grow in that gift. Part of what Start Here's for is to, to try to build some connections to try to get you just a starting place to start figuring it out. And you might not figure it out in week one, month one, but the idea is just keep at it, keep serving as we learn and discover those gifts and then mature and grow in how to use them. Well, then we have a little further outward, not just serving each other. The church isn't just about itself. It's not just about serving within. There's a measure where we're called to serve the city around us. And so serving the city looks a bunch of different ways. In the very least, you know, we partner with local nonprofits and ministries doing things in this city that we believe in. We don't think that we're the only good thing going on around here. We're here for the kingdom of God, to establish the flag of the kingdom of God in the place, in this region, not just in this zip code, but in this region, plant the flag of the kingdom of God and see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and being a blessing to our city. One of the ways we say it around here is we want to be a church not just in a city, but a church for the city. The, the church is at its worst when it exists only for itself. When we get inwardly focused, that's when we become self-righteous, that's when we become haughty, we become condescending, and it's horrible, and it's so unchristlike. And so we want to be leveraged for the sake of the city. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine. Let those good works shine out into the world like a city on a hill, like a lamp on a lampstand. Let your light shine so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We want God to get the glory for our lives. We do that by serving. We do that by showing love and generosity for our city, for those in our city that need to see Christ, that may never be inside a church building. There's so many people God wants to see reached that may never come into a church building, but are interacting with you, the church, with frequency, that you are the church for the sake of the world, wherever you go. So yes, that might mean specific, specific initiatives or partnerships that we have we, we connect a lot with Heart of a Matter Ministries here that's doing so many things in our city. We partner with other nonprofits and other initiatives. Yes, it can look like those specific things, but it also needs to look like how you intercede for your neighbors. It needs to look like how you interact with waiters and waitresses this afternoon. I don't have time to talk about it, but there are, in Ephesians 6, there's 
what's called principalities and powers, that forces and entities of darkness try to plant roots in regions and dominate that region for darkness, where sin and evil get trafficked in that region. And God has called his church to plant roots in a region for the sake of his kingdom. What Dallas Willard calls beachheads of the kingdom, where we were training centers to go out into the world with the light of Christ and be a blessing and transform the city. In Jeremiah chapter 29, the Israel in exile, Jeremiah's word to those in exile, verse seven, he says that, that they're to be a blessing to that city. He says, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. This was exile. This was a, a, a horrible empire, Babylon. And Jeremiah sends word from the Lord. So this is a direct quotation from the Lord to Jeremiah, to the Israelites in exile. He says, you need to work. Put your hand to the plow for the peace and prosperity of the city. That, that's, that's a way of translating the Hebrew word shalom. Work for the shalom of the city that I've sent you into exile. You know, it's possible you're here, like in this city where you live, and you don't want to be here. <laughs> you feel like you're in exile. You don't know why you're here. You don't know why you moved here. You don't know why you live here. You don't know why you came back here. Maybe you grew up here and you found yourself back here. Maybe you just accidentally stumbled and you just can't get out of here. And you just feel like you're in exile. Well, guess what? Work for the shalom of where you are. Wherever you are. Because if you don't learn to work for the peace and prosperity of where you are, where God's taking you, you won't work for the peace and prosperity there either. And so wherever you're at, you are to work for the shalom of that city, of that region, not just your own shalom. Because look at what the next phrase is in that verse. Pray to the Lord for it. Pray to God. For all the people, all the people in this, you, you know, we can get mad at our cities, at our governments, at our states, at our, our, our nation. But we're to pray to the Lord for it. Not against it. We're praying against the forces of evil. We're not praying against people. Pray to the Lord for it. For in its welfare, that's the Hebrew word shalom. For in its shalom, its shalom will determine your shalom. Like, I want to have a peaceful life. I want to be a person of peace and live in a community of peace, in a family of peace. Anybody else want that? I want, I want to live in peace. Well, what determines my peace? Part of it is the peace of the region around me. And not just getting mad at it, not just blaming other people because it's their fault. Pray for it and work for it. That's how we're to live, which goes into the third thing, which is being a servant. Yes, these are actions, and we need to commit to actions of service. We need to engage in serving because that's how we're trained. You're trained by practice, not by knowledge. Knowledge is important, but you've got to put knowledge into practice. And so, yes, you need to practice serving. You need to practice hitting that edge where what going over that edge is sacrificial and committing to the action of sacrificial service. Yes, we need to commit to the action, but what's primary is how we see our own identity because you will do from who you are. Who you are determines what you do. 
And who you are is in Christ. And again, you, like the identity that's in Christ is not a buffet where you get to pick and choose. And Jesus is a servant. That's who he is. Mark chapter 10, verse 42. The disciples, Jesus' disciples are clamoring for authority and power and position and title. In verse 42, Jesus intervenes. He calls them to him and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then he says about himself, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, as a servant, gave his life to ransom our lives. When I think if Jesus acted more like me, I can tell you that there would not be a crucifixion. Thank the Lord he did not act like me. He's a servant. And here's the deal. Jesus, the servant, is in me. And because I'm in Christ, I am a servant. So when I willfully choose to neglect serving, I'm living outside or a lack of integrity to the Jesus that lives in me. This is a major growth point for me. Because many of us... I'm sure I'm like many of us. I can use all sorts of excuses, like I'm busy. I don't have time. I've got got all these other priorities. Here's the deal. 99 times out of 100, busy. Busy means I don't have my priorities straight, and I'm selfish. It might be one or the other. Mostly it's both. No, I'm not advocating also for being a people pleaser that doesn't have boundaries in their life. Okay? Okay. God established the Sabbath to establish there is a work rhythm and a rest rhythm. So I'm not talking about like never have boundaries and it's only a yes every time. I'm not talking about that. I have some wisdom with the Holy Spirit. But most of us fall in one or both of these or oscillate between these two. We're either stuck as a people pleaser and can't say no, not because we don't have boundaries, but because we just don't know how to you know, we just, we're, all, we're, we're governed by the opinions of others. It's not serving the Lord anymore. It's pleasing people. Or we're selfish and we use boundaries and rhythm and balance as an excuse to never do anything outside our comfort zone or that we don't want to do. Most of us fall in one of those ditches and often we oscillate between the two. And yet Jesus is a servant with both. He both has a rhythm. He often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer He often withdrew to have communion with his father, so he had boundaries, but he also was willing to be interrupted, which is a major growth point in my life. I've had to start seeing interruptions are God's intervention in my life. Because I can tell you, I don't believe that yet. (laughs) I know it's true, I'm just living, I'm living toward that truth. (laughs) Because I have selfishness, I need sandpaper to rub the selfishness out of my life. And when I, when, I, when I don't live as a servant, 
I'm not living with integrity to the life and identity of Jesus on the inside of me. And that means everything becomes an opportunity for serving at that point. So rather than not getting hung up on specific actions, when you have the identity of a servant, you recognize that I am a servant to my spouse. And actions need to come from that identity. That I can be a servant to my spouse. I can be a servant to my children. That doesn't mean they run the, the, the house. But I can teach them sacrificial service because that's who Jesus is. And I want them to see Jesus desperately in my example. My friends, my family, I can be a servant. Listen, some of you are business owners. You need to see your business is an act of servanthood to this community. If you are a manager or a leader or an employer of any kind, your business and your leadership is a service to people, to this community. And you need to see it as a servant of Jesus. How you show up to work tomorrow, you can show up and just go through the motions and get paid, or you can show up as a Christ servant. You can show up as Jesus would show up, as a servant tomorrow. You can be a servant this afternoon when you give your waiter or waitress a good tip. I, I don't think that was condemnation or manipulation. It's just a pitiful witness the church has that Christians are the worst tippers. There are so many unsaved waiters and waitresses, not because they don't believe in Jesus, they just don't believe the Jesus that is modeled to them by church people. Think about how wrong that is. Jesus is a servant. He's in you. Let's live with integrity to that. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. In everything you do, everything, whatever you do, all that you do, all that, I mean, a lot happens in 24 hours of your life. You make millions of decisions a year. Like literally, it's like 60,000 a day. Some kind of decision you make a day. Some kind of thought that turns into an action about 60,000 a day. Thankfully, most of those are automated. <laughs> That's a lot to consciously think about. But in whatever you do, in word or deed, so the things you say and the things you do, whatever it is, do everything, everything, every single thing. This might be a place of conviction of the Holy Spirit for most of us. In everything you do, word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. It doesn't mean in Jesus' name I put on my shoes. In Jesus' name I walk out the door. In Jesus' name I wash these dishes. It does, that, that, come on, don't be stupid. It means to bear the name as a representative of the one who gave his life for us. It means I sh I, like my life should be a billboard of Jesus Christ. So what am I doing and how am I witnessing of Jesus in whatever I'm doing? You know, the dishes have to get done, okay? Whether you do them with a good attitude or not. Okay, they start growing stuff if you, if you don't do it. And, and men, here's the deal. 90, like 90% 90 of every dish does not need soaking, okay? That's like, that used to, that used to be the perfect excuse. I'm, just, I'm soaking it, honey. <laughs> the dishes got to get done regardless. You can do them with an attitude 
of Jesus on the inside of you being a servant, laying his life down for something as simple as the five to ten minutes it takes to wash dishes. Or you can do it with this terrible attitude and put one more little division in your marriage. You're, you're going to drive. For, I mean, most of us will drive. You're, you have to get from point A to point B. You can do it as an aspiring NASCAR driver. <laughs> mad at every other idiot <laughs> on the road. Or I had to start retrying. That's, that's a growth point for me. I had to start retraining you know, where, where the scriptures talk about, don't curse your enemies, bless them. So I've had to retrain myself to bless and not curse. I won't tell you how I bless them yet. I'm still growing. We'll just say that. <laughs> like everything you do in word and deed, you do with bearing the name of Jesus Christ. And I want, I want, I want my life to be a worthy reward for the sacrifice of Jesus' life. I mean, just we sing about our king and honoring him as holy. Like, do our lives reveal that? And like, there's no condemnation there. All of us fall short. All of us are imperfect. But are we on any kind of a journey to grow in that maturity? I want to be. I want, I want to be a better servant to my wife and reveal Jesus to my wife better than I do today, to my children than I do today, to my friends, to my church, to my neighbors, to the people I interact with. And seeing myself as a servant is part of how we do it. And then as a servant, now what are the things we're doing to put it in practice? And, and what you're putting into practice now might not be what you're ultimately supposed to do, but you've got to get used to it. You've got to get started. You've got to start somewhere. And that's why what we do with teams and volunteering here, listen, it's just a small part. It's just an exercise in growing in our learning how to serve. And I want you to find life in it. I want you to find value and purpose in it. But your ultimate purpose is about having impact for the kingdom, not doing a job. So, you know, jumping on a team here is great practice, but it's practice, and we do encourage that. It is Teams Sunday, and we want you to take a step. I'm not going to make you like, you know, who's currently not serving on a team? Raise your hand. You know, like, that's not, we're not going to do that. I mean, if you want us to do that, we could do that, but we're not going to do that. There's no shame, but... Now, if you call this your home church, you have a part to play. And when each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. You can help other people grow. So what's on the screen is a list of teams that we do have. And just a simple, easy step, if you're even interested in taking the step. Like, we're not going to make you, like, sign. We don't even have membership here. I don't know if you know that or not. We don't have like official membership. You're not on some Excel spreadsheet or some database that's like, oh, well, have they checked all the boxes of their commitments or they're not really a member? We don't have membership here. That tells you, like, we just trust that we'll just keep making a way, pointing to Jesus, create environments, and just let the Holy Spirit work in your life.
And so all, all we're asking with, with this is if this is a step you may want to take, not even committing to take this step, but it may want to take. From that list, you can take a Connect card that's in the seat pocket in front of you, put your name and one way of contacting you, and we'll reach out just to see if we can help you find a space to just start putting it into practice. Not going to make you sign up for anything unless you want to. Not going to try to schedule you every time the doors are open. A few people find that in, like amazing, and most of us are just, we don't have the time for that. But what time can you give to practicing serving someone else? And doing it outside of your norm, doing it outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And we just want to help you. And that's just a step. But there's also thousands of other potential steps you can take. What's important is that you take a step. In some way, take a step in serving. Take a step in being the Jesus that's on the inside of you, living congruent to that identity that's on the inside of you. Something to think about today, go into tomorrow and this week in prayer about and listen to the Holy Spirit. Amen.